Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Verneri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. And this week... Who are you and where do you come from? I come from under the hill. And under the hill and over the hills my paths led. That's right. We're watching The Hobbit from 1977, directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Uh, kind of a, a, a out-of-left-field choice for us, is it not, John? I mean, I think it is. Like, you and I have talked a little bit about, like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, live action, and, and how you've seen it fairly recently. So it just didn't feel like a great pick for the memory distillery. And so that, that's been on my mind every once in a while. And then I just saw something that reminded me of the old uh, Lord of the Rings uh, animated version of that tale, or at least as much as they told. And then I remembered even further to the side of that, the, the animated Hobbit, which was done by a totally different group and different director, different team, different animators, different style and everything. And that was more self-contained and then told a story. And I just seemed to have this fond recollection of it both from when I was a kid, but also in the fact that the Hobbit live-action trilogy <laughs> uh, maybe isn't the best version of that story, you know, that we can watch. Absolutely not. It is not. Well, we'll it's see. Really well, not. well, I think the best way to judge that is to see, is there a better version out there, at least in the in the movie media? That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Um not super self-contained, though. This was actually part of a series. Uh, they did The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and then, like, The Return of the Kings. I think they com- combined. Well, they did, like, uh, The Two Towers, but they didn't get to Lord of the Rings. Or, I mean, uh, Return of or, the King. Like, well, no, there there is a Return of the King movie. Oh, my goodness. Like, animated. I'm not even joking. Well, I guess we have our work cut out for us, then. We sure do. Uh <laughs> That said, um, very vague memories of this movie. Um, kind of a, 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 a sh- almost strange animation style. Like, I mean, it's seventy seven, so there's a lot of drugs happening uh, in in the world, and uh, it kind of spills over into this. Uh, we we get uh, some some kind of just odd choices i think in animation and so it's it's going to be a weird throwback but i don't again i don't have a ton of memory of the overall like acting and how they arrange the plot and things like that so i think i'm i'm in for a pretty almost clean slate on this yeah i mean i think there's so much we could get into talking about general lore and experiences with the different movies out there but i think this could be uh interesting eye-opening experience, or eye-reopening experience. But you know what? Even if it's not that great, it's only an hour and 15 minutes long. Oh, really? So, like, you know... Shit, we could watch this tonight and fucking record both episodes tonight. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to do that. (laughs) Because I have other things to do, uh, as I'm sure John also does. Eh. Eh. Well... (laughs) 
Uh, cool. We're going to go watch this because neither of us really has a ton of memory of it. Uh, we're going to go watch it. It's currently stre- It's not streaming anywhere for free. You're going to have to get it from one of the streaming rental services or from your personal library. Uh, and then when we come back, we're talking The Hobbit. John, are you ready? Oh, boy. D- does a does a Hobbit like m- food? They sure do. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome back, hobbits and dwarves. Uh, John, this, like, right out of the gate, I had this feeling of the voice acting being sort of subpar. And then that notion changed, like, pretty quickly, like, once they got into the uh, the little reception in uh, Bilbo's dining room. But even after that, there were moments where I was like, this kind of feels almost hokey in, in in the voice acting department did you have any any kind of feeling that in, in that direction or in an opposite direction like uh, what was your impression there? <laughs> i mean I, I think as far as the the voice acting and and i mean the overall aesthetic everything going on with it it definitely felt like something that is maybe best served to kids on a tv set in the late 70s <laughs> you know which it, you know it's funny you say that because i'm pretty sure that that's how it was marketed so that makes sense yeah this was a, it was after kind of checking it out it was a tv movie you know yeah. specifically for tv and and uh and then of course home video which was all the rage back in the 80s and sure, 90s. Sure, on the, but... the VHS tapes or Betamax, if you were so inclined. So, yeah, so I don't know if I'd automatically say hokey, as you put it, but there <laughs> there was definitely a vibe, and I couldn't quite put my finger on if it was because this was done in the, you know, the mid to late 70s, or if it was just because it was just you know, thrown together on a TV movie budget or, you know, what, what, what were we really dealing with here? And that's, that's why I was going to ask you, my, my first thought on this is if you had to give the animation itself a rank of like one through 10, like where would you put it? The animation itself, I would put it, am I accounting for age I feel like I should be accounting for age because there there was a span of about 15 years from like 1975 to 1990 where we had all this animation with no shadows and sort of really robust backdrops, but then a lot of sort of phoned in uh, motion animation. So uh, I, I guess I guess a four is probably the the most generous I could be uh without getting insulting. Yeah, I'm I think that's fair. I mean, I probably would give it a similar rating if I had to. I think what's interesting to me a couple of things. One just from my own observation then one tied to what you said. Uh I thought that there were moments where if you could just take like a still image, it was really kind of cool and I kind of enjoyed the uh, kind of had a dark tone to it and some of the 
landscape and the trees and the mountains and the fog rolling and like there were moments even of the party of these little dwarfs and things that were not well animated necessarily but had interesting character design and then with smog being more cat dragon than just dragon like (laughs) that's a good way of putting it there were things that i i kind of liked but then once they started moving it all kind of looked jankety and like it was made by as like like a grad student project by someone in the 70s like it 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 just had kind of like a bunch of sketches thrown together kind of feel so the overall animation the movement and all that didn't feel great but the, the style of it and the feel of it i kind of enjoyed it, no, sorry, go ahead. No, and, and then I was going to just say, based on what you said about the, the motion feeling, you know, weird or not being there, uh, agree totally. But what's interesting is the subsequent movies not made by the same uh, company, but the ones that... But the, the the Peter Jackson films. No, not those. <laughs> oh. The okay. animated films. The, oh, okay, yes. The Lord of the Rings animated and, and, films and the return of the king yeah well no no the return of the king was the same studio again oh was it really yeah and then for lord of the rings which was lord of the rings in two towers it was a different studio um and that that particular studio they and this was again like i want to say right around 78 somewhere between 78 and 80 well th- this came out in 78 so or 77 but 77 yeah sorry it's it's fine, but oh, that's but that it's, other the other it's it's listed as seventy seven on IMDb, and I'm pretty sure that YouTube, where I watched it, had it on nineteen seventy eight. But I, I could be, I could be wrong about that. Regardless, uh, when that Lord of the Rings came out from the other studio, uh, the animation studio that they partnered with, uh, Bakshir something. Some guy's name, I can't remember what it is, but they actually did like motion capture. Okay, so I want to talk about this for a second because I have a vivid memory of this style of animation, but also like live motion, but almost like they took a live, like filmed scene and then animated over it. Yeah. frame by frame to give it that sort of animated feel because they couldn't quite animate horses or something like that. And I didn't get that in this movie. And I was like, was I misremembering this? Am I, do I have some weird Mandela effect thing happening? And you no, just, apparently yeah. you, you just, just blended confirmed them. it. So. Yeah. So yeah, they, they did that. They did the, uh, um, it's not orthoscopic <laughs> rotoscoping. <laughs> That's it. They did rotoscoping <laughs> where they they drew over the top of people and horses and things like that. Um, but so the movement was realistic, but it still didn't look good. It looked weird and creepy. But that that's a whole other frame rate or something. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. Plus, they did have a couple of live scenes where they just use actual people and then just did it real dark. <laughs> oh, so you couldn't. Couldn't a hundred percent tell, and back then most people watching this were probably high anyway, so like they didn't really, yeah, th- that that didn't track with them. So, so anyway, just getting back to what we did watch here with the Hobbit, though, um, the the voice of Gandalf at times fairly close to uh, Sir Ian McClellan, very much but then so, and also had a weird like uh, Leonard Nimoy kind of. 
uh, quality to it, and sort of the narrator have a neat, like Leonard Nimoy quality? Well, I pulled a real Anthony on this one and decided to look it up on the internet because have we shifted roles. <laughs> Yeah. I don't look shit up now, and you look up everything. Is because this is two episodes in a row now. It, it's it's addictive. <laughs> um, so the 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 guy who voiced Gandalf, do you know who it uh, was? John John, John Huston. Uh, Houston, yeah. Um, Houston, my who, bad. Whose daughter is Angelica Houston? Oh, is she? And I didn't it, even make that connection. And he directed movies like. Uh, you know, Maltese Falcon and the African Queen and and like all this stuff. And he was the the voice of Kant off this movie. But I just thought like, oh my what a what a eccentric and strange selection. I wonder if he had a just a connection to the material, like if he just always loved, you know, the books or something. And just like, well, he's old enough to like if if he had had the opportunity to meet him, had, you know, could have, yeah. you know, met. Tolkien and like and, and and even befriended him and so that would have been a, a a big get for him is to get to star in a friend's movie. Yeah, I I think that that little or at least a, a contemporary's movie. Yeah, that trivia to me th- I thought was kind of interesting and and then the things that were interesting started to peter out after that. <laughs> it's not true. I have one. I have one more one more tidbit that here that I I really think. You can almost feel why why this is real, and it kind of makes sense because the animation studio that did this movie, that did The Hobbit, um, Rankin Bass, they they were known for like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman and like the stop motion animation and those cartoons. Okay, that's that's where they got their start, um, or I should say that's Rankin Bass, but the animation studio that they employed or that they had working on them to do the animation for this movie uh was called Topcraft, which i don't expect most people to know but after digging i, a little, I don't after digging a little Topcraft animation uh, went bankrupt and some of the key founders and people in from Topcraft names like uh hayu miyazaki Oh and wow! A few others went on to found Studio Ghibli, and it's Spirited Away, and all of the movies we've talked about, like stuff like that. So there are some genetics in this Hobbit movie, believe it or not, <laughs> sure. that are tied loosely to some of these great masterpieces of animation that that we've you know talked about and really loved. So, and when you look at like the design of Gollum and look at the design of the smog. Um, you can just get a little bit of that creepy feel like they were just going for something a little over the top, a little something extra. Um, and I, I feel like you can kind of make that connection. I thought that was kind of neat. No, you absolutely can. And in fact, now like now that you say that, thinking back on especially Gollum, you get a, a real like uh, Miyazaki feel to it. Like there's there's definitely elements there that I go, wow, now now that I'm thinking about it, it, that totally could have been animated by him. So yeah, and then um, with with uh, Rankin Bass, the other movie that I actually knew that I, I liked quite a bit that could almost do a nostalgic movie cast about uh, was called The Last Unicorn. Have you ever seen that? I have. Uh, I actually had when I was a teenager. I had a neighbor 
uh, who was my age, and she was very, very much into The Last Unicorn. So that's actually how I was introduced to it. Yep. So, so that's 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 all the fun nostalgic fact <laughs> fact finding stuff to tie to this. If you noticed, I've not exactly dove into wanting to get into a big philosophical discussion about the movie itself. I will say, it does a perfectly fine job of taking us on the story of the hobbit as like an outline you know it, it does a it, serviceable job it does and i appreciated that because when you get into the peter jackson trilogy of hobbit movies that was entirely unnecessary being a trilogy when you compare that to this this movie has very little exposition like right out of the gate we get uh uh maybe 10 minutes of uh like the the or no not even maybe eight minutes like of the lead into the opening credits yeah like we get the introduction to bilbo the introduction to gandalf and then the introduction to the 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 dwarves and then it's like okay cool credits let's start (laughs) this movie now and i'm like wow i feel like in the peter jackson films like that was the first act of the first movie that's to say that was like the first movie was just introducing the characters right and it's like we get the entire setup in 90 minutes or less than that like what 77 minutes or something like that like this movie was short yeah uh and yet it felt long at times one of them (laughs) sometimes yes there there were moments that went on longer than they needed to but those same moments in the Peter Jackson trilogy went on for half an hour. So uh, it was welcomed to me, but there is a lot of the story that does get left out and we don't have to go into that, but uh, especially when the five armies converge, like that felt really rushed uh, by comparison. And yeah, obviously we get a whole movie, but uh like in this movie, it felt super rushed. There was like there was three armies, and then there was four, and then there was five, and then it was done. Yeah. And I'm like, that's all right. We're talking ninety seconds here for the for the Great War. It really was <laughs> for Smog's uh, yeah. Smog's horde. Like Jesus, that that, and it's funny just because with Peter Jackson, both Lord of the Rings and in The Hobbit, they they seem to have these prologues at or not prologues epilogues at times that would just kind of go on and on and here's part three of the the epilogue and part six and like there were just all these things whereas here the epilogue was like the entire you know coming together of all the different armies the whole battle everything where you don't actually see much of anything and it all is wrapped up in about a minute and it's like, oh, okay. Oh, well, do you know okay. how hard it is in 1977 to fucking animate right. a war? I mean, come but, on. And but to, that's to a good fair, point. To... It's funny that like throughout the the, the movie, there are they go kind of go out of their way to make things rather, you know, like a hard G rating. Like they don't show anybody getting stabbed or anything. Even bad guys and orcs and goblins and spiders. Like, like they either get, you know, like scared away or, you know, they get the spiders get stabbed, you know, off scene and, you know, right. like, and then they just spin around a lot. Yeah. And they spin around and turn into sparkles and it's like, <laughs> that's fine. Like, that's 
fine. But then you get to that final battle scene that lasts a few seconds and wraps up the whole movie. And you just show that the the battlefield afterwards was oh, just littered with bodies. Yeah, just yes. like littered with dead bodies. And it's like, this is grim and <laughs> just horrifying. Not graphic, but still just very like they went out of their way to make everything kind of sparkly and ho ho. Not a goblin, not today. Bunk bunk bunk. And then at the end, it's like the terror of war. And it's like, wow, this got real dark. And then it just ends, you know. And then it's like, and now we're done. And I'm gonna go back home and write a book about it. And they couldn't put the same focus. You could tell what era this was like made in because they couldn't put the same focus on smoking. Right. Like they they spent like literally eight or nine lines of Bilbo complaining about how he doesn't have his pipe and he can't smoke. And, and like that was upsetting to him and you couldn't do that now. Like there, you couldn't do that 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Like it just wouldn't have worked. And so <laughs> to, to be all, uh, conservative, uh, and, 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 you know, clutching your pearls over the depiction of of blood or or violence, and then you know to in in an earlier breath complain about the lack of uh, smoking materials on hand. Like it was just, it was very odd to me. Yeah. Uh, through through a modern lens. And one other thing I, I noticed, uh, just in terms, like obviously we have a lot of singing in this movie. Um, yeah, I wrote down folksy music throughout. The, the, uh, it, yeah, it, the music. Very like folk, like, Amer- like modern American folk music. Yeah, the, when when it was singing with, with words, the music very much to me felt like a, a classic, you know, late 70s folk album. Like it, it, it was perfectly fine. I kind of liked it. I mean, the. Oh, yeah, no complaints for me. Yeah, it, it was perfectly fine. And then, but the. The orchestration of the the score when there was no singing, to me, just it kept reminding me of like a Christmas movie. Um, and, and it's like I know maybe I had a slanted view because I knew going in that you know they had made you know twenty different little Christmas movies and that was a thing that they were comfortable <laughs> with. But but yeah, just like throughout almost like the first eighty percent of the movie, whenever they weren't singing and, and there weren't creepy orc singing or goblins and all that stuff going on and it just felt like dun, 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 like just expected like jingle bells to be ringing and like snow to fall <laughs> on a pretty tree or something and that never happened and so it threw me off well but it also had like a a sort of fair use or or, or royalty free kind of feel to it yeah. like there, there was no way that this was a a major production musically uh, for for the the I guess non lyricized stuff, and so like you paid nothing for this music, I assume. Well, uh, like to, just based on that, and uh, out of uh Rankin Bass, uh, Jules Bass, uh, he himself was a composer and lyricist, and I don't know if he sang uh those folksy songs, but I believe he wrote them. Hmm. Um, and so, and, and maybe that's just part of their the charm of what they offered when it came to all these various movies that they've done that have little songs in them. And, 
you know, like that they have that musical background and stuff to it. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of singing in the Hobbit book. So we're going to put some singing in the animated thing. Kids like songs that all work out. And, and, you know, maybe there was something to that. I mean, they're, they're very well could have been. And yeah, you're right. There is a lot of singing throughout. And in fact, that, that was one of the, the chief complaints, I think, with the, uh, the Peter Jackson, uh, films it didn't include a lot of that like we we didn't get uh, a lot of the bard uh type stuff yeah. throughout those movies uh but it was the, the the stuff that we do get in this movie i i, I appreciate it i thought that it was nice and and uh the, the the storytelling aspect like you don't get a lot of that anymore you when when you have even lyricized stuff in uh, in modern films, it's not there necessarily to tell a story so much as it is to sort of fill what would otherwise be dead air. And it, it, it serves that purpose perfectly fine. But back then, or, or, or in, in this particular setting, I guess, uh, it was it was good to have that added element rather than just a regular narrator or the 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 cast of characters themselves like describing what they're doing or or laying out plans or or discussing along the way or anything like that like this this felt very appropriate uh for for that setting yeah and i think that i i do have a memory of watching this as as a kid and really being into it um and enjoying you know, for, for what it was. And I think now when I look back and I just think about like what, what was in pop culture at that time. And again, I didn't watch this like the year it came out or anything, but like whenever I did watch it, it was probably in the early eighties. And, and like at that point in time, I was not yet familiar with, you know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings books. I wasn't familiar with anything that really had dragons or adventurers or, you know, wizards or, you know, any of these things going on. And, and you like fast forward to now and it's like every other piece of every movie, everything of pop culture, like everything's going to have dragons or wizards or, you know, like some <laughs> anti-hero that, you know, you don't expect who's bad, but then he's kind of good. Like all, all these things are present in this movie. And I didn't know that it would feel just like, Oh, okay, here we go. But that, that stuff just wasn't around. So it was all, there were probably a lot of risks that were, taken and people thinking no one would want that and and you know now not only because of lord of the rings but you know everything else from you know game of thrones to star wars to you know there's so many different things that all like feel that they're cut from that same cloth from you know quite a while ago and then a movie like this is just like yeah it wasn't copying things at the time it wasn't just being another in a long series of you know uh elves and oh el by the way one, we do have to talk about those elves oh god those yes. wood elves i think because... we will I, I i do want to talk before we get into the elves and the stylization of some of these uh <laughs> th these various characters uh because there's more than just the elves i want to talk about in that regard um you you, you said uh the, something along the lines of um how this was I'm paraphrasing you, but how this inspired a lot of uh, similar media down the line. Uh, I, I feel like there was 
almost an entire generation that if you didn't catch this at the right time, you sort of went without up until the the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And like it, for me as an example, like I was born in 82. This came out five years before I was born. I didn't even get familiar with it until I was probably 15 or 16. Uh, and then by then it was like rumored that there was going to be a Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that inspired me to then go and read the books. But like visually, we didn't really have much of this throughout the the 80s and 90s unless you were really looking for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Lord of the Rings in general as a book series as the trilogy was a lot of inspiration for a lot of people, probably more writers than, you know, TV and movie uh, makers at the time. But if you do look, you know, there there were quite a, a lot of like, you know, you hit that string in the 80s of fantasy where you have like the never ending story and you have legend and you have, um, you know, like there there's these different fantastic elements that are, are not anywhere on the scope of Lord of the Rings that aren't, you know, don't have that middle earth thing and they're not epics and they're not i mean it depends how you define epic but like they're they're not quite on that level but there definitely is uh people who are like pushing and trying to make these you know fantastical stories from from different books and novels into something they wanted it to stick and to really break through and and be something and it it did take until you know around 2000 before that became blockbuster material but now it's like that's people no longer shy away from that after, after the success of Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter franchise and all these things, it's like nobody questions it anymore. And that's almost to the detriment of so much other garbage that's come out in the last, you know, 20 some years. But uh, yeah. No, you're right. And, and like, it's, it's almost a shame that we, we had that big span without it. Cause I, I imagine there were probably a number of, of creators out there who, who could have come up with some, some really, at least for the time, some really great visual stuff that, that uh, an entire fandom or, or, or a, 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 I guess subculture could, could really latch onto like that, that sort of nerd fantasy kind of deal uh, subculture could really get into. So uh, let's talk a bit about the stylization of some of these character uh, or, or the, these races throughout Middle Earth, like the dwarves and the elves and and whatnot, um, very different from what we get in some live action adaptations, not just of the Tolkien uh, books, but even even throughout other uh, other series and other. Uh, uh, franchises, the the wood elves in particular in this are very, I'll say different, different. They are yeah, different. they're different. All right, I <laughs> I don't even know who made these decisions and who decided that. Oh, an elf? Yeah, yeah. No, everybody knows what elves are. They they kind of look like a a tree stump, and uh, they got they wear like bloomers pulled up real high on their legs and and their like hairs made of leaves and and like they were just bizarre not like horrifying just weird and not at all what anyone token or otherwise would say what an elf would look like 
Um, and then you even have when they go to, you know, what's its bucket, the, the city and Elrond's there and like, he's more of the classic elf design. And I actually kind of like the crown of stars around his head. Um, yeah. that was, that was a nice touch. I liked that a, like quite it's, a bit. When, when you're not doing the most beautiful animation ever, but you need to distinguish that these elves are somehow like almost like overwhelmingly beautiful to look at, like putting like a crown of glowing stars floating around their head. Like, okay, cool. That's a nice shortcut that that works pretty well, but yeah, but not these tree elves, not tree elves that, and, and honestly, I, I know again, having memories of watching this when I was very young, I don't know how I got away with not having nightmares from some of those, I don't know if it was the goblins or trolls or whatever the ones were in the caves where they like almost yeah, eat them. the goblins. And it's like, man, that's that's pretty creepy for a little kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like and and they're so like in live action versions of of these these races, they're they're very similar to humans, it's just they happen to have particular body types that the the Elves are tall and lean, and the dwarves are short and stout. And, like, that's sort of how we delineate between them. And in this, it's like, no, all the dwarves are old as fuck, and all the tree elves, specifically the tree elves, look like anthropomorphized grasshoppers. Yeah. And and like that's that's the 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 split between the two and and the fact that the tree elves and the Rivendell elves are so different is is sort of astounding because you would think they'd at least have some kind of similarity between them but the 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 differences here in this movie are stark. My bet uh, is between that between they... those two di- different uh, uh, cultures, I guess. I think. The when they did the animation, they had like seven guys, and they each like picked a card, blind like drawing straws, and they're like, "Oh, cool! I got the dwarfs." And someone's like, "I got the wood elves." Wood elves? Yeah, no, no problem. I know what wood elves are. Someone's like, "Cool! I got the trolls," and like they each went off in a corner and just like <laughs> designed and came up with a concept for what they wanted to, and then they brought it all together, and everyone's like. Dude, are you sure that's what you want to do for Wood Elves? And he's like, well, I mean, it's just for TV. <laughs> like, you don't want me to start over, do you? And they're like, no, nah, don't worry about it. We'll just use that. <laughs> we have a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gandalf, too. Like, there was this uh, this moment where I was looking. I think it was when he, uh, he, he mysteriously showed up in the middle of of the 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 caves and or the 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 mines wherever the uh the goblins were and he he had this look about him that reminded me of the sword in the stone mm-hmm. and merlin yep. and i got oh man this is merlin from sword in the stone yeah i could totally see that uh and and it, it, like in particular the nose like his nose is a foot and a half long down his face and it just was very much Merlin. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I I don't even know when Sword in the Stone came out. If one influenced the other, maybe even if it was subconsciously. But but yeah, I got a bit I'm of that vibe up right now because <laughs> it's. Uh... 
it's let me see the sword the sword and the sorcerer the stone come on the sword of the stone was 63 wow yep and but but looking at photo like maybe i have a, a again that mandela effect thing going on like well no i think his you know his how many isn't that long how many animated uh wizards have there been you know at that point like well that's true i so, mean there's not there's not a whole lot of material to go off of so i guess it all can all just kind of run together yeah whether it was intentional or not you know you and, and just going off the description in, in tolkien's books like you're gonna have to make someone who kind of looks like this in a sort of way you know right. and so yeah that's the result you got uh all right what else you got john um, I don't know. I think that's, I, I can't really say again, I, I, the, we, we picked this purely from, you know, a nostalgic point of view from that whole, you know, wanting to ca- recapture that feeling of watching like a, a special evening presentation on ABC where they do, mm-hmm. you know, the peanuts and Charlie Brown and primetime. And <laughs> it's like, it's that kind of feel. It just was a, a special thing that just came on at some point And, and so, like, I can recapture and feel some of that that magic, and I can appreciate it for what it is. And it wasn't a horrible time, um, but it was very basic, very much. I understand this was geared and pointed towards kids in general, like young kids. And I think, you know, if nothing else, maybe it would still be a good gateway drug leading to kids, like, reading the actual books and stuff like that. You know, so, one would hope. So, yeah, that that's... I would hope that any good parent, <laughs> if if their kid managed to watch this, that they would not then say, oh, if you like that, you got to see this trilogy with Martin Freeman and 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 <laughs> really cool CGI. I hope instead they'd go, oh, if you like that, oh, you should read this book. Um, but That's, you never know. That would be the preference because, I mean, for, for as visually well done as the hobbit trilogy is there's so much wrong with it like you're creating characters from whole cloth that weren't in the books and throwing them in there and spending way more time on way more bullshit i mean it was a money grab like let's just call it what it is like the, the hobbit peter jackson's the hobbit trilogy was a fucking money grab uh and the the lord of the rings trilogy is great uh, and I have zero issue with it and watch it on a, a fairly frequent basis. I watched all three Hobbit movies one time each, and that's it. Yeah, they they kind of blend together for me, and I'm, I'm the same way. I've only seen the live-action version once and don't really feel that excited about revisiting that at any point. So Yeah. So there you go. That's that's the, f- the final verdict. If you, if you want to see, if you don't want to read a book, and you want to know about the story of The Hobbit, you should watch this 1977 musical TV movie rather than endure six and a half hours of live action. <laughs> I could not have put it better myself. That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week as we distill another favorite from our past. We have new episodes most Mondays, so catch us on your favorite podcast app, Apple or Stitcher or Podbean or Spotify or whatever the kids are listening to nowadays. Uh, You can also head over to tmdpod.com. You can check us out there. Uh, All of our latest episodes are up there as well. Uh, 
John. Yeah. Well, speaking of what the kids are listening to, the music in our podcast comes from a little group called Semaphore, and they do a song. All the kids are listening. All the kids are listening to, to it. It's kind of like modern folk music. So if you like the music in The Hobbit, you should listen to Destroying the Evidence. I'll, you know what? I'll endorse that message. There you go. Sure. And then, of course, we do want you guys to email us if you have any questions or comments, if you have any fond memories of either Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, animated or otherwise. Go ahead and just write us a little email at uh, thememorydistillery at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, keep up with us on Facebook. Just look up The Memory Distillery. We're kind of posting what we're up to there. We're we're starting to edge closer to that holiday season of Halloween and Christmas, and we, we tend to find a lot of good material in those times. So, you know, if you... If you feel like, what have they been doing with their lives lately? You know, you know what's going to be coming up soon. So, I'll say I have some pretty good ideas for October. <laughs> well, there you go. Pretty good ideas are sound pretty good to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. I'm John Deck, and I'm Bilbo Baggins, and this has been the Memory Distillery Twist. <laughs> Close out the show with a rousing rendition of These Are the Things That Bilbo Hates. <laughs> I was tossed up between that and Leonard Nimoy's Bilbo Baggins song. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>